Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here, excited to lean into the new normal, the next normal, whatever we may find around the corner, even if it turns out to be another corner. As we begin 2022, we're going to outline 22 trends, trying to give some kind of coherent narrative structure so that we can process this and hold on to it use some good learning science practices along the way. I would recommend, if you haven't had a chance yet, that you do listen to our look back at the 21 trends for 2021 that we did at the end of last year. Gives you some perspective, and there will be some callbacks and tie-throughs to what was discussed as part of our 21 trends in 2021. Many of the trends that we're outlining are going to reference episodes of Trending in Ed that we've done over the years. Please subscribe, write a review, let your friends know what's going on. We've been doing trend spotting shows about the future of education for over five years now, well over 400 shows. We're taking a concerted effort this year to try to process and reflect on that and begin to curate and synthesize it in ways that are useful and actionable in these crazy times that we're living in. And these crazy times have some opportunity. So hopefully we can strike the right positive notes and provide you with something that will help you make some sense of a very tumultuous period that we're living in. And truth be told, we're not seeing that subside in any meaningful ways as we hopefully come out of the pandemic years. I am looking at this as one more COVID winter that we're right in the thick of right now. But coming out of that, hopefully those notes of optimism will carry us through and we'll land in something new. And these are the 22 trends that we're outlining to help make sense of what's on the horizon. Please check out the show page on trendinged.com. We'll be putting out the list of the 22 trends there and on LinkedIn and Twitter in any ways that make sense. Hopefully you can refer to that while we're talking. And these ideas are still germinating. They're still in the early stages. They'll continue to develop through conversation with our guests and with our listeners. Thank you for being part of the conversation. Let's dive into Trending in Education's 22 Trends for 2022. This show has really been powered by the conversations we've had with the many amazing guests we've interviewed as part of the show. It's also been made special at times by our use of virtual guests and virtual co-hosts. And with that in mind, I am gonna bring back Nancy one more time to the show. Nancy, welcome back to Trending in Education. Thanks, Mike. It's always a pleasure to be here. I really enjoyed looking back on our trends for 2021. That leads us naturally to a conversation about the new trends for 2022. How should we get started? I know we were framing the conversation using some narrative elements. It all boils down to the hero's quest when you get right down to it, doesn't it? Indeed it does, Nancy. And we're going to begin there. We're going to begin with 
who are the heroes and how should we understand the storytelling, which is a theme that's going to run through all of this. How should we understand the storytelling that will be critical to reimagining and reframing the universe of learning, the learning ecosystem, which is another phrase that we'll be using a lot. If we're talking about learning, who are we really talking about and what are the trends we're seeing around the who? Perfect. Sounds like a natural place to start. And before we get going, can you quickly shape up how we're structuring all 22 trends so folks can have a sense of the journey we're about to embark on? Absolutely. That sounds like a smashing idea. So we begin with the who, talk about trends that we're seeing around the heroes in the learning quests that are out there in the world around us. From there, we go into their context, their setting, where are they, when are they engaging in this conversation, how are things in movement, things in flight to change there. From there, we'll pivot to talk about the quest itself. I'm positing that we're in the midst of a radical transformation to the world of education, that it will take many, many years for us to sort out. But those of us who accept that idea of a paradigm shift, to borrow from the thinking of Thomas Kuhn and the structure of scientific revolutions, we're in the midst of a transformation it's still shaking out. There are elements to our thinking that are going to want to gravitate back to old thinking. This is where the idea of the great snapback comes into play. But at the end of the day, there is a challenge, a reimagining that is happening that I'm arguing we'll want to lean into. We'll explore some trends around that. And then we'll conclude with some ways to understand how to design solutions, how to find meaning and structure and value in the new normal that will emerge on the other side of all this. Although in reality, we may be in this state of confusion, this in-between state, this in-media race that I've been talking about, that is one of the 22 trends that we'll discuss as part of the show. Who are we talking about? What is their context? What is the challenge or the hero's quest? What are they up against? What are we up against? And then how do we solve these problems? What are some rays of hope, some signposts, some signals in the noise that might help us navigate all of the complexity and the many challenges that we face? Excellent. So let's get down to it then. What are the trends relating to the who of learning? How should we understand the heroes on this journey? Well, I've got it broken down into six trends around the who, and I'm going to run through them quickly here with some additional color where it makes sense. The first is the trend around social justice and racial equity. This is a trend that began to take flight in the summer of 2020 amidst the unrest following the murder of George Floyd. But in many ways, it ties to much longer standing trends in how we understand education and how, in many ways, the framing of the conversation has assumed levels of access and inclusion and resources that are not really uniformly 
available to everyone. This trend will continue. Interestingly, it is facing a backlash. And that's the second trend that I wanted to showcase, both in terms of the who we're talking about, but also in terms of the larger understanding of how trends work, where when something pushes us in one direction, there's nearly always a countervailing force. It's almost Newtonian. Is that countervailing force stronger to the point that it pushes us in the other direction? Or is it weaker and ultimately this new movement wins the day? Those are separate considerations and they vary depending on the trend. But generally we will see backlashes. This ties also to some trends around polarization and the politicization of education. That is also a big part of who's having the conversation, who is getting the broader attention, and is that sitting well with folks out in the world, or is it something that is being stoked as a provocation? There's a lot to discuss relating to all of this around the movement to include more folks and broaden our understanding of who might be the hero in this quest, the backlash that we're seeing against this and how that ties to a broader trend around polarization and politicization. Those are the first three trends that we've identified around who we're talking about. Then we move on to parents, their role in the conversation. One of the trends we identified in 2021 was parent educators. And this was one that I gave us credit for in that at the end of the year, parents wound up being much more front and center in the national discourse around education. Also in the politicization that I was referring to earlier, if you look at the Parents Matter movement that in many ways helped tipped the scales in the Virginia gubernatorial election earlier in 2021, we are seeing that parents do matter and that that theme is unlikely to go away. Parents in many ways were activated by the pandemic. And since the pandemic hasn't reached any sort of tidy resolution as of yet, we're confronted on a daily basis with very critical public health decisions that affect our private lives and affect the health and well-being of our families and our children who are really vulnerable in this day and age. And as listeners on the show know, I have a now three-year-old son who's in Universal 3K here in New York City. He is going to school. He loves it. It's been transformational to him. But I feel concerned. I feel a genuine sense of uncertainty. But at the same time, I need to learn to trust and listen to the science where I can, trust the educators and the community that is there to give back. And hopefully things proceed for the best. But the concept of backlash applies here as well, just as there are some parents who are comfortable sending their kids 
to school these days. There are others who are becoming increasingly less trusting of those institutions, more likely to pick up with homeschooling, which we do see is on the rise, more likely to pull out of public school and pursue other means of a K-12 education. These are all trends that we're going to continue to monitor. And it is a world where we're going to need to understand not just folks who think like us, but also trying to understand and empathize with those who may see things differently. And rounding things out with the final two trends of who we're talking about, one of the other key who's to consider in this conversation is the educators themselves, the teachers who in many ways are under siege. We had a really powerful conversation with Leo Casey in 2021 about teacher insurgency and how in many ways teachers were asserting their power, their ability to organize and their ability to push back in some ways against a very challenging set of dynamics that were in play and that still are in play. And now we're in a place where educators understood more broadly are questioning their career choice. The great reshuffle, the great resignation that was very much a trend on the rise in 2021 is something we're going to continue to see confront us in the world of education. And it's one that there may not be an easy way out of. I think part of the solution here comes back down to empathy and comes back down to treating our educators with the respect and reverence that their noble profession deserves. And then there's one final trend related to the who in education in 2022. I'm referring to this as the codification of education. Sal Khan revolutionized education by teaching his nieces and nephews all manner of content domains through YouTube and some authoring software and a whole lot of gumption to begin to transform education. The democratization of great e-learning, great online instruction has now reached a point where just like back in the 90s, we could all say, I am Tiger Woods. Now, I think we could all say, I am Sal Khan. You see it everywhere. Just last night, I was watching Scott Galloway's prediction show for 2022. I'll be covering that a bit more in an upcoming episode. What Scott Galloway is doing with business education, we're seeing folks do with Excel and data science and cybersecurity whatever skills or content domains people are trying to ramp up into, Sal Khan-like figures are emerging. Just like everyone has a podcast these days, perhaps everyone will soon have their own course. What's standing in your way? It's on each of us to figure out where we can make our marks and just start shipping. Get out there and see what happens. So be on the lookout for more Sal Khan-inspired action at an online course near you. 
The only thing standing in our way is us. Let's make it happen in 2022. This who could be you. Thanks, Mike. That's a nice start to the story here. We have broader awakenings happening about who the heroes are and how we've been limited in many ways by the narratives we've chosen to focus on. At the same time we are seeing a strong backlash against much of this as the polarization and culture wars continue to rage on amidst the pandemic. Rounding out the cast of characters, we've got parents playing an increased role in all of this along with all of our educators who are doing the hard work of teaching in uncertain times under unprecedented stressors. There's some opportunity to rethink all of this to begin to make something new. But perhaps we're getting ahead of ourselves. Now that we've covered the trends related to who, what about the context? When and where is learning happening and how is that changing? Yes, this is another place where we see that tension and that backlash happening as well, where on the one hand, this is where I would put the great snapback, where the possibility of online learning as part of the solution is generally being discounted, even though the case numbers for Omicron are going through the roof, we are not seeing nearly as much openness or interest in closing schools or reverting to online learning. You're seeing it a little bit more in the context of higher ed, where more campuses are going through the toggle term concept that Brian Alexander, friend of the show, has talked about on several occasions, where when the numbers spike, some universities are going to online learning. There's a hope that this is a sharp spike and then a resolve so that by, say, later in January into February, we'll be resuming more of a normal footing when it comes to the safety in higher ed. But generally speaking, I am seeing that great snapback that friends of the show Steve Jordans talked about when we had him on last spring, we want to go back to what we knew before. And we also are social beings where we're used to being in physical proximity with others. We don't want to wear masks. We don't want to deal with all this. We ain't got time for it, Nancy. So people do want to see that snapback. They want to go back to the comforts of our prior knowledge. So the great snapback is out there. And there's also a tendency towards opting out, choosing not to. This is what I'm calling the Bartleby Scribner effect based on the, the great short story by Herman Melville. We've been rewarded of late by opting out of things. We've been rewarded by not going into the public sphere, by not venturing out of our homes and our safe places. This is reinforcing for many of us some tendencies towards social isolation and only interacting within a tight group, a pod, a set of close ties. And we're losing something in that equation. So I think there is a genuine desire to both snap back to what we had before and then also potentially opt out of what we find too risky. That in some ways ties back to the polarization where I'd say in the more conservative aspects of the broader culture are arguing for, let's go back to exactly like it was before. Let's not wear a mask. Let's go to our classes. 
Let's go on campus. Let's proceed with life as normal. The virus can't beat us. And then on the other side, there is almost an overreaction that is leading to fear and building on some challenges we all have been facing around our mental health, where we just don't want to go out there. It's easier to stay home and work from home, learn from home, transform the way we think about our professional lives and the future of work. All these things are in flight at the same time. And while we're talking about the future of work, this is also where a new trend is emerging, one that we've talked about on the show, but we haven't specifically brought it out as a trend that we're watching for the year. And this is the idea of digital nomads and the idea that I can take my professional life with me. I can take it wherever I go. I'll need to learn to continue to stay equipped for what is new and what is emerging. So I'll study on the go. I'll study through my phone. And I'll also take class outside. I'll leave the formal constructs of traditional classrooms and begin to explore what can be learned in different contexts outside, in nature. Class outside was a trend that we talked about last year. Even just in terms of the architecture, places where open air is part of the dynamic is going to be something that many of us will hold on to coming out of this pandemic. I've talked on several occasions about how where I live here in Brooklyn ha has been transformed. Outdoor dining, streets closed to vehicular traffic, and the tremendous public good that is derived from green space, like Prospect Park, which is not far from my home here, these are the respites that those of us dwelling in high-density, relatively high-risk locations through this whole pandemic have found our refuge and have found some coping me mechanisms for the new stresses that we're facing in our lives. We'll see more of that continue to emerge as we play with our head up. And that will run directly in contrast with the desire to snap back and go back to the way we understood things before. Those tensions are really interesting spaces where new things will emerge, new trends we talked about, micro schools and learning pods. All of these are related to how the setting is changing. And then the last thing that we'll talk more about a little bit later on is how some of these settings, in addition to class outside, class inside the metaverse will be a new and interesting trend for us to keep an eye on. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Good stuff there, Mike. I'm happy you included the metaverse in your comments. It's a place where digital humans like myself can begin to engage on more equal footing. So we've laid out who we're talking about and how their contexts are changing. How do you see the hero's quest presenting itself in the coming years? What are we up against? Are there trends you're noticing that might help us get our arms around what's emerging? This is where I'm seeing at least five things worth noting. There may be more and we'll provide all these lists on our website, trendinginteducation.com. Visit us there, follow us at Trending in Ed for more of this content as we continue to lean into what's emerging in 2022. 
I'd say the first trend that we're seeing that will present both challenges and opportunities is one of decentralization and what's now being called Web3 or Web3.0, which is a new understanding of how the internet can be built, built on the blockchain, and a new understanding of how structures can be more decentralized, less top-down, more emergent. Truth be told, the jury is a little bit out on how much of this Web3 mumbo-jumbo is new marketing versus more of a fundamental change that will impact our lives. But it is a place where a lot of the capital is heading. You know we're big fans of the Gartner hype cycle here. It does seem like Web3 is climbing towards the peak of inflated expectations. What happens next typically is that it then goes into a trough of disillusionment. But this decentralization is real. It's picking up on things we've talked about around organizational structures and leadership where the more traditional alpha dog, top-down, smartest guy in the room mentality in many ways is losing out to more emergent, grassroots, bottom-up types of thinking, and also places where we are building cultures that are genuinely inclusive, genuinely supportive of inputs from across as many diverse perspectives as possible. Again, this is facing backlash. It is suffering from some of the polarization that I outlined earlier, but there is a new trend towards decentralized structures, I think in many ways tying to this reimagining of the technology infrastructure, something to replace the internet and social media with something new. That new thing will be decentralized. What does that mean to us? It does tie in many ways to the concept of VUCA, which is that the world is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Been talking about that for several years now on the show, and it's certainly been borne out. As the world moves in these directions, how do traditional organizations, traditional ways of thinking respond? How flexible are we? How easily can we unlearn, relearn, think again about where we're heading? Those are all some of the challenges that are being laid out before us. Another trend that I'm noticing is what I'm calling in media race. I talked about it at the top of the show. It's that we're in the middle of something. We're always seeking closure. We want to be able to close the books on one year, begin the new year. That's why this trend show is beginning in January. We weren't talking about it at the end of 2021. We look for the opportunity to change to kick off something new. At the same time, there are cognitive components that we've talked about many times on the show. The Zygarnik effect, named after Bluma Zygarnik, one of the students of Lev Vygotsky, the famed psychologist who talked about the zone of proximal development. The Zygarnik effect comes from Gestalt psychology, which shows that when an activity has been 
interrupted, it may be more readily recalled. The Zygarnik effect drives cliffhangers, it drives some addictive behaviors, and our general desire for closure. I'm arguing that we're in a new space now where we're in the middle of something. If we were picking up on our broader narrative, this is the Empire Strikes Back phase of the conversation. Things are looking pretty good for the Empire. Our resolve is being tested in ways we hadn't expected before. It's time for us to both accept that, but also demonstrate the will and the resolve and the courage to lean forward in new and interesting ways. The other two trends, just to round out this piece, one is building on a trend from 2021, which is false scarcity. This speaks to the idea that many times opportunities are presented as being much more limited than they really are in reality. If you think about many of the challenges we're facing in higher education in the U.S. and, and more broadly, it's based on a very limited number of seats to a very select few number of universities, when in reality, the problems that we're facing are much deeper and wider than anything that could be addressed through this elite sensibility. If instead we can reframe the scarcity conversation as one of abundance, to understand where there are places where we could be more strength-based, asset-based, and open to possibility, we can open up educational pathways for many, many more learners who desperately need this by reframing the conversation from one of scarcity into one of abundance. The last challenge, which is related, is tied to systems thinking and understanding the world as a learning ecosystem, borrowing a phrase from Michelle Weiss's book, Long Life Learning. Long Life Learning is another challenge as well, and an opportunity. We're going to be living longer. We're going to be faced with new challenges to learn new skills. And we're going to need to reframe the opportunity to educate and to elevate beyond what we can deliver through pre-K and K-12 and higher ed. How do we understand those touch points across the entirety of our lives? And as learners, how do we understand how we can quickly snap into educational opportunities to get the upskilling and reskilling that we need throughout the full range of our, our lives? So it's a much broader understanding of a learning ecosystem, and it's a much more full understanding of how we learn all the time. And that's really how you stay relevant and ahead of the game when it comes to the future of work. Thanks, Mike. Lots to discuss there, but I know we're trying to get through all of this in one episode. Let's shift to solutions. How do you see the heroes in our tale successfully vanquishing their dragons? Well, it certainly won't be easy, but I guess that's what makes it a hero's quest. Hopefully, these challenges have the right level of desirable difficulty, which is a learning science concept that I keep 
returning to. In terms of solution level trends, I've got seven, count them, seven of them. This is not the best learning science being demonstrated here where we should keep lists shorter and easier to assimilate. But I'm going to rattle them off here. Hopefully y'all can keep up and then we'll dive into each of them to provide a little more depth. The seven solution-oriented trends for 2022 are make to know, next level storytelling, simul learning, social emotional health, hustle, nesting, and vulnerable virtues. Let me spend a little bit of time on each of these ideas before wrapping up. First, there's Make to Know. Make to Know is the name of a book by Lauren Buckman, who was on the podcast in the fall of 2020. I'm going to interview him again shortly to talk about his book of this title. But Lauren outlines a very clear perspective on what's involved in making things and how the way we really learn is through the process of making, and that unlike the notion of Michelangelo releasing the angel that is within the marble through his sculpting, this runs counter to that idea. This holds that the maker, the creator, the artist, and the learner, in many ways they're the same person, and they require the courage to lean in to this uncertain act of making to truly learn. And this is a theme that since we talked in November of 2020, I've seen this theme emerge in many, many different ways. Perhaps the most zeitgeisty that I noticed recently was the documentary Get Back featuring the Beatles, where aside from just being profoundly struck by the weight of that piece of art, I also was struck by the fact that the Beatles didn't really know what they were doing all the time, and that only by leaning into that uncertainty and operating under these constraints and figuring out the tools and techniques necessary to create creative outputs were they able to navigate all of this and I think that reframing is important. It's easy to get into the navel-gazing and rabbit-holing, if that is a word, that can happen in this day and age without actually engaging in the practice of making things. And I would argue that that is running counter to the way in which we begin to solve some of these problems. So that is make to know be on the lookout for that and those upcoming conversations as we lean into the new year. Second is next level storytelling. Many of the most compelling conversations I've had on this podcast have been with educators, entrepreneurs, innovators of all stripes, who've been able to lean into the narrative elements of storytelling that makes for great content these days. This harkens back to a conversation I had with Dan Harrison when he was talking about his book, Live at Jackson Station. Dan is a sociologist who did a social history of a blues bar in Hodges, South Carolina. This will be turning into a new podcast that we'll be launching called Inside Jackson Station. Be on the lookout for that in the coming weeks, where Dan interviews many of the artists who performed at Jackson Station, 
and tries to get at what made that place special and perhaps at what we can learn from the narrative of Gerald Jackson and Steve Bryant, a gay couple in the 1980s living in rural South Carolina, establishing an iconic blues bar and creating an eclectic, tolerant and inclusive culture. Fascinating story and so much can be learned from it. It's a great example of the kind of storytelling that's required for great learning experiences. We are in an age where building in surprise and delight, great characters, humor, even music where it makes sense. All of these things earn the learner's attention. Storytelling is very much front and center, tension and conflict, denouement. Even if it takes a little extra work, building the narrative elements in, making the story cohere better is a key element to designing learning solutions in the new normal. The next trend is building on what I referred to as Simu Everything back in 2021. I'm now calling this Simu Learning, and this is where the metaverse meets the learning ecosystem. Had some really fascinating conversations, even went deep on some of this as part of our programming in 2021. I'm expecting to do more of this in the future whether it's talking to Steve Grubbs at Victory XR or Anarupa Gangli, who is leading Prisms of Reality, or other emerging startups and entrepreneurs who are trying to get out ahead of this trend of building simulations in virtual reality, augmented reality, other new and emerging media formats. How does learning relate to those simulations? Where does it make sense? Where might the simulation get in the way? to the point that it's cognitive load. And there's a lot of folks who are lashing back against the concept of the metaverse, particularly how it's been outlined by Mark Zuckerberg, among others. But one way or another, just like we're thinking about Web3 and the blockchain, AR and VR and the design of more sticky and highly engaging learning experiences, edutainment experiences, I'm expecting this to continue to gain momentum in the coming years. Simulearning is a trend to be looking out for, as is social-emotional health. As you know, I get social-emotional, baby. And I continue to do that in 2021. I expect that to continue in 2022. Just had David Adams and Elizabeth Stranzel on the show talk about how social-emotional learning is being rolled out across many of New York City's public schools, building a strong and resilient New York. That same level of resilience is being built into our educational programs really throughout our lives. It's a place where SEL is also facing some backlash. So it's a place where I think we need to lean in and help support this trend. It does relate also to the massive trend around telemental health and the growing awareness of the next wave of this pandemic, once the physical health risks begin to subside, what has been the toll in terms of the psychosocial trauma that we've all been 
suffering through and finding new ways to cope with in these challenging times. Be on the lookout for more conversations about social emotional learning, if only to give me an opportunity to sing a little bit of Whitney Houston. Three more trends, hustle. This is where I'm making a distinction between a hustler and a work mule. Shout out to Ross Simmons, who outlined that distinction on his blog. It's also a place where I continue to caution about being busy, stacking meeting after meeting and extolling how important that time was and how you have to hop to your next call. I'm leading a next call. I need to drop this call. I got another call. Calls and calls and calls. You know, my three-year-old knows mommy's on a call. Daddy's on a call. He knows what that means. But is that actually productive? I'm arguing busy is, in fact, the new stupid. Hustling, however, is not. Hustling ties to the maker culture that is emerging. And a hustler is someone who is trying to find angles to expand their earning potential, expand the dimensions in which their career can manifest itself, and also just expand who they are by exploring different elements of the creator economy the passion economy, the influencer economy. As part of the great reshuffle, the great resignation that we saw, what does that mean to us as professionals? What does that mean to us who are trying to find meaning in our careers, but also trying to earn? And that's where the passion economy requires some hustle and requires us developing some new skills and new mindsets that help us lean into what is new and emerging. I'll be talking to more hustlers, more folks who are finding ways to become personal brands and to get out ahead of some of these trends so that they can earn and be part of the future. It's going to take some hustle, but it's not going to take busy, busy, busy. We're almost to the finish line. You can do it, Mike. We're all pulling for you. Thanks, Nancy. Appreciate it. Our penultimate trend is nesting. I've nested three ideas within nesting, so bear with me here. First off, there's just the idea of chunking and putting things into groups, nesting things so that they're easier to process. We're trying to go through 21 things here. Hopefully a little bit of nesting makes it slightly easier to process, but at the end of the day, 21 is a big number. Let's put that approach to nesting aside. The second angle on the concept of nesting is the idea that we've all been hooking up our home situations. We've been forced into our homes in ways that we don't like, but ideally by now, we've all had an opportunity to set up our home studios so that we feel strong and empowered when we need to lean in as makers. If you are going to be part of the learning economy, the passion economy, you now have a somewhat equipped home setup that you can author from and or you're creative and flexible enough to be able to author on the go if you are a digital nomad of sorts. All those opportunities will be presenting themselves. How do we lean in? And then the final element of nesting is the acronym New Economy Skills Training. 
we all need to understand how these new economy skills are going to relate to our future work lives and our earning potential. How do we future-proof our skills portfolio? This is where I've been talking to more data scientists, folks in cybersecurity, folks who are making 3D models, engaging in new media in interesting ways, even my fellow podcasters. It is a world for the makers, and it is a world for those who are able to tap into the new economy skills that are emerging, whether it's through a boot camp. I've been taking more courses on LinkedIn Learning, finding things on YouTube, just playing with your head up, not suffering from the imposter syndrome to the point that you become a Bartleby. We got to lean in, figure it out, and emerge on the other side equipped with some new tools, some 21st century skills to pay those 21st century bills. Looking forward to having conversations with folks who are making this happen in 2022. And lastly, it's going to be an age of vulnerable virtues. The idea of the invincible superhero alpha dog at the top of an organization, the Bravehearts, if you will, who are rallying the troops and leading from above. In some ways, they are losing out to those who can show vulnerability and can build cultures that allow those who put themselves out there in vulnerable ways to not just exist and be accepted, but to actually thrive and to lead. I mentioned as one of my conversations for 2022 is one about psychological safety with Timothy Clark, a company called Leader Factor. Really got a lot out of that conversation. It is driving some of my thinking, as are the conversations I've had with Terry Givens over the years, who has really coined radical empathy as the name of her book and the name of the trend that she is signaling. There's many different ways in which this is manifesting. I talked to Jason Baer, who is running a K-12 school that is focused on the teaching of intellectual virtues, the importance of ethics. As we face the threat of robot overlords and decentralization and technology subsuming our humanity, it's a time where we're going to have to lean into what it is that makes us truly human and do that in a way that is authentic and honest and even vulnerable at times. And in many ways, it brings me back to Ted Lasso and the strength and the courage that is required to be genuinely optimistic, vulnerably optimistic, but relentlessly optimistic nonetheless. It's the only way we're going to get through this. And it reminds me of Viktor Frankl's work, Man's Search for Meaning, where in the most difficult of circumstances in the concentration camps of World War II emerged a new humanism powered by existential philosophy and a belief in making meaning even by virtue of being in suffering. I wouldn't by any stretch compare what we're going through now with the atrocities of World War II, but compared to some of the more 
tranquil eras of our history. We are going through a crucible of sorts in this time, and it is an opportunity for us to demonstrate that courage to lead and make and hope. We're excited to lead that conversation. I'm happy that you're along for the ride. Thanks so much for joining us. Nancy, any final thoughts? You know, Mike, I'm just happy to be here. We're taking it one day at a time. We're not overlooking our opponents, but with the right mix of courage, empathy, and resolve, we can continue to iterate to great. Yes, indeed. We certainly can, Nancy. Thank you, as always, for your contribution. Thanks to our listeners, all of you out there listening, please let us know how we're doing. Give us some feedback or feed forward. As we like to say, we'd like to learn how to continue to get better. None of us are finished products, but we're all working on it. Hopefully we can learn from each other and continue to engage. Thanks as always for listening. If you like what you heard and you made it through all this, thank you. Uh, write us a review, tell your friends, give us your feedback. It's all good heading into 2022. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.